Well, that felt good, boys. I don't know about you all. A series victory in San Diego after a disastrous homestand. Good mood tonight as we record behind the yellow line number 68. The Cubs have won their first series since the opening series when they took two or three from Milwaukee. We got some thoughts here on the two wins in San Diego. Should have been three wins. Nearly a grand slam ended the game on Tuesday night. But lots to get into into that. We do want to talk a bit about that tough homestand. Five games, two losses to the White Sox, three losses to the Dodgers. Left you feeling pretty bad going into this trip to San Diego. Uh, take a look ahead. Cubs are going to Arizona for three. They come home then for a seven-game homestand. And there has been no shortage of roster moves over the last week in the majors, in the minors. Some injuries of note. We've got things on all of that. We've got weather from our buddies at Cubs Weather ahead of this Arizona and Pittsburgh matchups. And then we'll look at all of the Cubs to wear number 68. I'll give you a hint. It's a small list. But we got a full crew here tonight. Jeremy, Randall, I said it at the top. I'm going to say it again. All smiles tonight. Haven't been able to say this much, but the Cubs played some pretty good baseball this week. Yeah, I, I'm, I was all for it. You know, the, you had the win on Monday. You had a, a, a back and forth game last night. Cubs had a chance there at the end and a win today. And, I, you know, to me, it was like an excitable game. I was having fun watching it. And then all of a sudden I get the text in the middle of it after the Cubs blow it a little bit and I get shitty game. And I'm like, hey, we're still going on. We got a chance here. Look, Please it clarify was a, who sent that. Yeah, uh, that Randall, was me. Randall that was me. Shitty game after I Michael said the Gibbons text that sent, that said shitty game. And that was a really, really bad inning. I don't want to let it overshadow two pretty decent wins otherwise, but it was a really, really bad inning. That was not major league defense that inning. So don't let me, don't let me overshadow the enjoying the two wins, but that was a really bad inning. It's a full game, man. You got to play nine innings. Cubs were up five, three. I know we gave a couple runs there, but like we were, I like seeing the Cubs play good baseball against a good team like the San Diego Padres. So if I see that, that puts me in a good mood, you know? Yeah. Uh, a very good team in San Diego, one of the best in the National League, a team we're all expecting to be playing deep into October. So for the Cubs to go out there, they won two games. Kyle Hendricks finally had his defining moment of the year, that on Monday. They win today 7-5. to five. What's also really impressive to me just about this weekend is to do it on the road against a good opponent. The pitching matchups were not in the Cubs' favor. I mean, this starting rotation is injured. There's COVID impacting it. There were some bullpen arms that had to step up. And to do that against one of the best offenses in the league, you got to enjoy that because the Cubs were up against the ropes here, coming off of all five losses at home. Pitching wasn't on their side, and they won two ball games. That's really cool. Yeah, and one thing to mention about the pitching performances, it's nice to get, you know, you only went four innings or whatever, uh, Wade Miley back. It's nice to, you know, get another arm in the rotation, like, especially in the situation. It's unfortunate that, you know, Stroman's been out and whatever, what have you. But, like, you know, we've been waiting for Wade Miley because we need to solidify this starting rotation. So it's nice to see him, you know, pitching. And and it, it kind of reminds me of the series last year. Unfortunately, it didn't really go too well after the series last year. But Cubs didn't really have, you know, the pitching matchup when uh you know on the ledger you would think you that jake arietta pitched because you darvish on the getaway day last year and arietta shoved and the cubs won and uh you know cubs have had the padres number what was it seven and two over the last two years so far so nice you know yeah good team. yeah you know we've we've talked ad nauseum about the, the lack of starting pitching for this team kyle Hendricks gave us something uh, a little less to talk about on the negative a little more to talk about on the positive for, for one night, he was this close to getting that complete game shutout and it just ran out of gas a little bit of there, a little bit there as he got into the, the hundred and teens or so, but great to see him 
go out there and pitch one of his efficient games that we've seen plenty of over the years. So, you know, I, I don't want to say it's, you know, the start of something that the rotation can get on a roll, but it's good to see Hendricks have a good outing. It's been a rough year for him so far. And I, and I would like to, you know, ask, you know, the round table here, how, how do we feel about that? That eight two thirds inning one out <laughs> away from the complete game. Should I know he had 115 plus uh, pitches, but uh, I was, I was not, I, you know, obviously, you know, you try to do what's best for Kyle, but I, I was not a fan of that. I want to see Kyle go the distance. I know he, that one wasn't a competitive at bat where he had the walk, but to me, it's like, if you're going to let him out there for, you know, that second batter after he, he already puts a guy on, or excuse me, the third batter after he puts a guy on, it's like, let, let him see, let's see if he can get, he got two to two outs and then he gets pulled. He only got three batters. I give him a chance to at least. You know, it's a six nothing game. If he gets in the jam, then take him out. Otherwise, don't put him out there, in my opinion. Yeah, you, you know, I would have loved to see him finish it, but he was clearly up against the wall at that point. The pitch count was climbing. He he was losing it a little bit at a time. Like maybe he gets somebody to hit it at somebody. But Greg Maddox said once, you don't want to rely on forcing the other team to just hit it at somebody you want to be out there strong and on top of your game. And, you know, I'm sure it was an open line of communication. So as much as I would have loved to see him get that complete game shutout, out, I understand pulling him given the pitch count, given the situation. Yeah. The rational part of my brain gets it, protect his arm. He's a guy who might be traded here in a couple of months. So keep him healthy. Let him go out there and do his thing. On the other hand, I think I immediately, as soon as Rossi came out of the dugout, I'd sent a text to the group. Boo just booing. Like, I want to see him finish it. He was right there. He's at 120 pitches. Complete games are so rare in baseball now. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Maybe there will come a time in 10 or 20 or 30 years where pitchers start going deep into games again, but for the next, for, for the foreseeable future continues to be rare. I wanted to see him finish it off. I don't know how many, and maybe I'm being pessimistic here. I don't know how many great or signature Kyle Hendrick moments we are going to get moving forward. I wanted him to finish that off in San Diego, a team he's pitched very well against in his time with the Cubs. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I, they're so rare. Like the odds of the Cubs getting a complete game shutout this year, I think are pretty low. I mean, that was mm -hmm. kind of the chance. I don't know if we'll get another shot at that or even a complete game. Like there's probably not going to be another situation. So, yeah, I mean, I understand, it, you know, obviously with the amount of pitches and, and Ross apparently made up his mind, but like before then he's going to get three batters. But I feel like you at least give him that that fourth batter who who's, you know, you have one runner on. If he if it's another non-competitive at bat, you know, put maybe now you have runners on first and second or he gets a hit and it's first and third or whatever. OK, I understand like now, but I feel like. He was one out away. Give him one yeah. more batter. I, I know we don't see 130 pitches anymore, and that's probably where Kyle would have ended up if he pitched the next batter. Uh, you know, that's like the days of like Pryor and Wood and all that stuff. Yeah. But I, it's just I want to see a complete game shutout. I want. I think even Kyle wanted it. You could see him on the. You know, he understands it. He's smart. But you could see him on the mound, like you know, being like, "Come on, it's like one more batter." No, okay. And then he walked off. But yeah, I think as a fan, you want to see that. Yes. That great bit on the broadcast last night as they were talking to Kyle, uh, I, I guess the, the the joke was he came back to the dugout after the bottom of the eighth inning and David Ross was standing there with his hand extended as if to give the great job tonight handshake. And apparently Kyle just did the nope and walked right on by him, said, nope, no, nope, I'm not doing the I'm done handshake. And he, he talked Ross into letting him go back out. But Kyle, Kyle told it great. He said, nope, I'm not done. I'm not yeah. done. I'm not shaking your hand. Man, it was close, though. 
Would have been cool to see him do it. Back at the beginning of the season, we made our prediction show a couple weeks ago. I asked you guys, are we going to get a shutout this year? And you said, if it's going to happen, it's going to be one of those nights where Kyle does it. That may have been the chance. But who knows? Maybe he's got something figured out now. Cubs have a stretch coming up here uh, against teams that either are really bad or supposed to be bad. So maybe he can get on a roll here. And um, I, I don't want him to be traded. I just think if he's pitching well, given the direction this team is going, everybody's fair game for the most part. And of course, Kyle's going to be part of that conversation as much as that sucks. Yeah, you know, he it's it's weird because I feel like he's not pitching like well up, up till yesterday. He wasn't really pitching well enough to be put in the position to be traded. Mm-hmm. But then if he p- does pitch well, it's do you necessarily want to trade him? Do you want to keep him around? So there's probably like a middle ground, depending on how this team is, where if this team is bad, which we saw over the last week. And I think I, I do want to ask you guys a couple questions about that. Um, but it's like Kyle, like the, I feel like there's like this middle ground where Kyle's good and the team is bad. That doesn't look like it might be competitive next year. And then like, that's kind of the sweet spot of like a Kyle Hendricks trade, which is possible. Totally. Yeah. And ultimately I want to see him do well because I love Kyle Hendricks. He's a world series hero. He's been such a staple in this rotation, which has been a weakness, particularly the last two years. You want to see him put it together. Um, Something else from that game, though, that had my attention, and I wanted to bring it to you both. And, Jeremy, we're on the same page. We'll get into that other conversation in a minute here. But Wilson Contreras, leadoff hitter. This is pretty interesting to me. This is a guy who walks. He's got some power. Hits a crap ton of double plays. So I kind of like the idea of Wilson at the top of the order. What do you think? I like it. I I think Wilson... I think Wilson's having a great year so far. The numbers might not represent it necessarily, but he's hitting the ball hard with authority. Uh, you look what he did today. He had a monster game today. He was he was key to getting that lead again in uh, was the eighth inning where he let off with just a bullet to center field. I think it was like 114 miles an hour. So yeah, I mean, you want to put, in my opinion, you want to put your best hitters at the top of the order. So why not put a guy who's who's right now hitting bullets all over the field and the results haven't quite matched kind of how well he's been playing. Uh, he should probably be better. So I, I like having Wilson. We, we've seen it with Rizzo and Schwarber and even Bryant. They've tried to put guys, different guys to lead off in the past. It hasn't always worked out, but I like the idea of it. And to keep putting a guy, you know, you can take a walk, as you said, and you, know, you get hit and he's going to probably DH a few games. So he's going to get some rest. So put him at the leadoff spot. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem with it for as long as this team does not really have a traditional leadoff hitter. Give the guy who's, like Jeremy said, he's hitting the ball hard and he's getting on base. Put him at the top of the lineup. And again, your, your leadoff hitter only leads off once per game. And with the DH in place and you have a, a number nine hitter now, uh, there's more possibility of him coming up with the bottom of the lineup hitters on. It gives him more chance to be productive with that hard contact. So I have no problem with it to the extent that the Cubs don't really have um, – a clear, better choice on the roster. I don't have a problem with it at all. It's making good use of a player who's performing very well right now. So fun one Monday Cubs win that one. You're like, all right, road trip starting off. You get a win, especially after that Sunday night game, you got to fly across country. Pretty cool to see that last night. What a finish to that ball game in San Diego. We'll get to Schwindel in a minute, but I want to start with something that led to that. Say Suzuki on the bench injured comes up. It most, veterans would not have played in that game yesterday. They would have said, look, I get the full day off. I'm not doing it. He took an at bat. He kept the inning going with an opportunity for the Cubs to win that ball game at the end. I just wanted to highlight that and say that was a fantastic moment for an injured player in his rookie season to come up in the ninth inning of a game 
battle. I think he fell down 0-2 or it was 1-2, and and then he ended up getting on base. How exciting is that looking at his development as a major league player? Yeah, and he didn't even play today because his yeah. ankle still wasn't feeling well. So, you know, it obviously probably wasn't feeling very well in that moment to take that uh, plate appearance. But, uh, you know, he's a new guy to the team, and it's nice to see him, you know, like wanting to be a part of the team. I'm that guy. I'm going to step up for my team. And so it was it was a nice inning it was, uh, for the most part up until Frank uh, hit that ball and it was caught. But it, it was it's I like to see say who's had a little bit of struggles. I feel like he's been punching back a little bit lately. And yeah. he, the last couple of games, he's been playing pretty well. Hopefully his ankle is no, not a huge deal. But I agree with you. It's nice to see him come in and take that uh, at bat in the ninth inning. Yeah, like, Jer- cool. like Jeremy said, the league has adjusted to him. He's starting to show signs of adjusting back. And that's just the kind of player say it is. We know he's he will give you a great at bat just about every time, even on only one ankle. He's still able to do that. Jeremy, you said it was a great inning. I'm just thinking it was absolutely a great inning until it wasn't. So it was it was almost a great inning. It was a great inning in the making. And, you know, Schwindel doing two, three more push ups in the morning and it would have been a great inning. But, you know, who has anything bad to say about, say, Suzuki at this point? Well, I did not see the game last night. I was out at Red Rocks. A lot of shows at Red Rocks, boys, and I'm very, very happy. 29 shows last night. It was my third at Red Rocks this season. So I had pretty good ratio early on in the year. It's a lot of shows in one night for you. That's a lot of shows, Randall. Uh, uh, six shows in the last two and a half weeks. So I've been pushing it a little bit. Um, but I get to the car last night after the show, just in time for the ninth inning. So I put on the radio. I got Pat going. I was very entertained as that inning pretty much got me from the venue back home. The, the, the ball, though, off the bat of Frank, Pat Hughes last night, and I didn't hear the whole game, just heard the ninth. It was one of those nights where he was on. And I don't know if it was just he loves being back on the West Coast or the Cubs kind of rallying late and showing a little bit of life, but his call in the ninth inning was vintage, just rock-solid Pat Hughes. And when Frank hit that ball... I was screaming in the car because I thought that thing was gone. You guys are watching it live. How did that ball not get out of the ballpark? I, I don't know how that ball did not get out of the ballpark. Because, I thought it was gone. Because Rob Manfred has personally tinkered with the baseball solely to to benefit the Cub opponents. Like he he is anti-Cub. We all know that Rob Manfred is an anti-Cub commissioner. There's there's several there's several possible, very true, maybe potentially theories on the subject. Ronan, I know you love your conspiracy theories, no matter how made up they are. I don't know how that ball didn't get out. And I think with the baseball from any of the past, what, two, three seasons, that ball is three or four rows deep. And we're talking about a a pretty neat sweep in San Diego off the bat. I just have no idea how that ball got out. It looked like it was going to be off the warehouse. I I had a Twitter open. I had a tweet already composed while that ball was in the air. (laughs) Well, there's the problem. You jinxed it. Well, it wasn't all completely composed. I was about halfway through the tweet. And the next thing I know, it's just right into Profar's mitt. And I'm like, delete, delete, delete. And I was like, but to be fair, uh, there was a ball, I feel like, that was hit pretty hard today in the eighth inning by the Padres that probably would have tied the game. And I thought, okay, the Cubs got the one back with a dead ball that kind of deadened. And I thought, well, I guess that evened out a little bit with Frank last night. You know, between off the bat, and it even looked like Profar was turning and watching it got out you could clearly see the the big brown number 10 on his jersey turning back towards home plate and then it just died in his glove yeah and then the cubs challenged it which you know they obviously thought it, it might have even hit the wall so it that ball went as almost pretty much as far in the park at least distance wise as maybe not quite in the height without getting could, out yeah like profar's glove was literally up against the wall when he caught it 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a gorgeous ballpark they have in San Diego. It's incredible. The development around the ballpark, too. If you look at pictures of Petco when it opened, an aerial shot, and all the construction and infill and all that around it now, it, it looks like one of the great parks in baseball to watch a ball game. It's big. And they talk about the marine layer, right? Like at night, night games on the West Coast, the yep. ball just dies. The cool, damp, heavy air. air that comes in yeah. off the ocean. Well, yeah. I was I was jealous thinking about that marine layer. Humidity in Denver today, Randall, 6%. I'm walking down the street today, like drying out as I'm walking down the street. And I'm thinking about the marine layer from last night going, man, it messed up Frank Schwindel. It would feel really good to have a little bit of that in Denver right now. You know, Ronan, it's funny you say that. We've got no shortage of some early, some some mid-spring humidity here in Chicago right now. It's been a, a pretty swampy couple days and it's not yeah. going to get any better until the weekend. But nature's air conditioning is uh, doing us a big salad. We got a real nice lake breeze late in the day. We had a temperature drop of a good 15 to 20 degrees in the span of a couple of hours. So there, there's nothing quite like living close to the lake in summer yeah. because you can, you can have two different climates with a, a, a difference of 10, 15 miles. Yeah, well, you don't get that over there in Denver. Well, is it possible? I don't know the answer to this, Randall. Can it be 0% humidity or are you like on the moon? At that point, like there's no atmosphere. I believe it's possible to have <laughs> a zero percent relative humidity. <laughs> you got to call Alex. Call Alex yeah. back up. Right. Back the, on the better pod. the better metric for humidity isn't relative humidity; it's dew point. And as we record this on the evening of Wednesday, May 11th, the dew point in Denver, live and up to the minute, your dew point is 10 degrees. And just to give you a little comparison, our dew points were in the, the mid to upper 60s in Chicago yesterday yeah. and today. That's a much better metric than relative humidity. And ten degree a 10 degree dew point means you are really, really, really dry. Yeah. Yeah. You feel I was it. surprised how hot it was here recently. Yeah. Like today, I yeah. walked outside today and I was like, whoa, it's very hot. Yeah. It is. It is. Well, I think the Cubs are going to be hot this weekend when they go to Phoenix. We'll have uh, Cubs weather here in a couple of minutes. We'll also look at that Cubs series at home. When uh, they come back, Pittsburgh coming in for three to open up a seven-game homestand. But uh, one more thing from San Diego, then I want to talk about that disastrous homestand. Today, Cubs win 7-5. Keegan Thompson gets the start. I didn't get to see much of him. I was able to pick up the game a little bit later. Uh, Jeremy, if you were able to catch it a little bit earlier today, Keegan Thompson's starter, what caught your attention maybe with that today? Well, I I wouldn't say it was like, the best kind of start. He didn't really, you know, have a lot of punch outs, which was kind of how it was last year when he started. And then when he moved to the bullpen, it seemed like his stuff played up more in terms of getting swings and misses and K's, but he was able to, it, it seemed like the contact wasn't very hard. The Cubs had a lot of more, like the Cubs bats themselves hit a lot more hard balls than the Padres did. So he was able to kind of keep the ball, not, which I don't know necessarily how much of that is on the pitcher, but he was able to put together four pretty good innings. Uh, Rick Sutcliffe was pretty impressed. He was going on about it. And so uh, he's like, oh, the Cubs may have found themselves a starter right here. And I'm like, well, I'd like to see some strikeouts. Um, But it was a decent one. The Cubs get starting pitching and they get it pretty well. They seem to do pretty well, in my opinion. So it was nice to see a, a starter come in there and limit the amount of runs that the Padres can get. Yeah, you know, I'm, I don't know that Keegan's maybe long-term future is as a starting pitcher because it seems like you always run into the question of just because he's a great wrong long reliever, is he still going to be a good starting pitcher? Cause the stuff plays down a little bit more as you have to try and pace yourself. Uh, you know, I, I understand the rotation's pretty thin right now. I don't know that I wouldn't necessarily want to move Keegan Thompson to the rotation 
full-time because you still have so many guys who are liable to go short on a regular basis and having that guy who can piggyback with them and give you three or four really strong innings when they only go four or five, there's a lot of value in that. So I don't know to whatever extent that has been working. And I don't know what you can say has been working on an 11 and 19 team, but to whatever extent that has been working using Keegan Thompson in that long relief role, keep him there because it is working. Yeah. I just think the Cubs need to find pitching anywhere they can in terms of starting pitching. So, um, you know, it is working. The bullpen's been pretty solid so far. I, w- I would think the season, despite, you know, a little bit of a blown save today, or not save, but Gibbons giving up a couple of runs. But uh, it, counts as a bl- it counts as a blown save. He gave up the lead. It'll go as a, it goes as BS in the box score. For, it was for good yeah, reason. You're right. For you're good right. reason. There was some I was BS. just thinking it was, it was in the eighth, uh, it was the seventh, the seventh inning. So it seemed a little early for a blown save. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, hopefully the Cubs can get some starters back. And then the, I still think, they should, you know, give an opportunity to some guys because I'm hopeful somebody is going to break out and take one of those starting positions. Yeah, and some changes in the farm too that could maybe be impacting the major leagues here in the next couple of weeks. But Cubs get the win. They take the series win, their first series win since the opening series win against Milwaukee. We'll take it, get a day off tomorrow, going to Phoenix for three this weekend. Before we get into that, we got to talk a little bit about the homestand because it was a complete disaster. Five we games. Do? Do we? We do. We do. Because I think it's going to open up a broader conversation that's more apt right now. But two with the White Sox lose both of those close games. Dodgers come in not really close there, including the 7-1 loss on Sunday night baseball. Uh, So Cubs go 0-5 on the homestand. And at that point in time, you're looking at their schedule. You're looking at their wins and loss total. They're a 55-win team, pacing to be a 55-win team following the loss on Sunday. And to put that into perspective, the Cubs won 55 games one other time in Major League history. That was 1882 when they played an 84-game schedule. So 55 wins, good thing. Now, very bad thing. This would be maybe the worst Cubs team of all time if they finish with 55 wins. Where were we at Sunday, right? Swept by the White Sox, swept by the Dodgers. Let's be realistic here. I was not feeling so good about Chicago Cubs baseball. You know, I've I've come to kind of a strange equilibrium about this team in the past week or two weeks. And I'm just keep trying to remind myself it's not worth getting angry over because this is not a good team that's maybe playing down to competition or maybe losing winnable games. This is a bad team losing games in a way that a bad team loses games. And it's just in the moment, of course, I'm never not going to be mad about it because the Cubs should win every game. Sports should be fun. Watching my team win is fun. Ergo, my team should win every game. It's math. But I'm I'm trying not to get too low on this team because they're just not quite worth the energy of getting angry. Even if they do win some of these games, to what end? I mean, on this team's best day, are they even going to, would they even be in a spot to claim one of the I don't know, the 12th, the 12th playoff spot or whatever. So yeah, I see, I see you shaking your head, Ronan. And so it, I'm just trying not to get too low on this team because they're going to get plenty low on their own. And it's just not worth getting angry over. Enjoy the wins, but I'm just trying not to get too angry about the losses. Now I'm going to fail. I've already failed. I will fail again, but that's, that's where I'm trying to be on this team. 
I, I just think it's funny to listen to you say all that stuff and then knowing like the moment something happens, you get this anger text or <laughs> anger tweet. And but then he says like how calm he's gonna be and he understands and he knows, mm. but then run score shitty game or, well, or you know, you know what? post game post game Randall has very different opinions on things than in game Randall. And to you know the it, you know, to make a, a topical pop culture reference here, it's like oh, two boy. minds inhabiting the same body. As I say, as we have a specter right here on the podcast, Jeremy gets my reference, Ronan doesn't, and that's okay. I have no idea what you're talking about. Perfectly fine. But uh, for me personally, um, I don't. I, I try not. I, I never really try to get too high and low with any any Cubs team, to be honest, uh, or sporting event or any. Try even usually with life, but uh, uh, you know, to me, this team's not. It, it, it's not going to be a good team. Okay. Uh, it's not a good team, but it's not 55. It's not 55 win team. I mean, that's, that's not what it is. And then I think we've seen, you know, the, the, this last homestand was bad. And obviously with the, in terms of results, um, the, the white Sox, the Dodgers, unfortunately they lost a couple games, the white Sox, the Dodgers are a good baseball team. So let's, let's, let's not, you know, forget about that. Like we fade, the Dodgers had some pretty good starting pitchers out there, Walker Buehler, um, whatever, but when you look at like the underlying data, you see that the Cubs, like they played some of those teams, like pretty okay. Like they hit a lot of hard balls against them. I think the Cubs actually right now are 12th in major league baseball and hard hit percentage for their offense. Like that should, uh, you know, reconcile itself. They should be playing better. Their underlying numbers are of a team that's not necessarily a, necessarily a good team. It's not a 55 win team. They shouldn't be like one of the worst teams in baseball in, ter- in baseball history in terms of, you know, like they should be better. And, and I think there was like an expectation to me, at least coming into the year, which what they said, it's like, okay, we're going to be like this mediocre team. If things break right, maybe we'll be good. If things break wrong, we'll be bad. And I feel like so far things have broken wrong. I mean, the starting pitcher has been awful, which is, was not an expectation. I don't think anybody expected Marcus Stroman to unfortunately have been as bad as he was. He did have a good start in Milwaukee. Um, but then he's got COVID and then there's been, I don't think anybody expected Wade Miley to be hurt. I don't think anybody expected really coming to the year, like a guy who's probably going to be a key part of this team and Jordan Simmons hasn't played yet. So uh, to me, it's like, okay, we're there. I, I, I try not to get too high. It's like, I don't expect a winning team. I don't expect this team to win 85, 87 games, make the playoffs, but I don't know. And I, so I try to just watch it and I try to enjoy Cubs baseball. And so I guess my curiosity really is like, are we still engaging when we're angry like with cubs baseball are we watching the games or are we maybe not you know okay they're not as good we're we're turning it off or it's not appointment tv anymore so i'm just curious about how that and how that's going and i know when something bad happens i get an angry text though sure sure well i'm never not watching or right. paying attention i mean even yeah so i'm at a concert last night i'm not looking at the score no, in the I middle mean, of the conference. set right yeah obviously but as soon as i get in the car at the end of the day and I'm getting ready to drive back 25 minute drive or so from Red Rocks back to the ballpark area here. I immediately put the game on in the car and I didn't know what the score was. I literally hit the button. I heard Pat and I had a very interesting and entertaining ninth inning to take me home, even though it was a loss. So I'm in it, man. I'm watching, but I will say it it does make me angry. It doesn't need to be this bad, right? Like obviously the franchise is going through a transition. The farm system is much better than it was a year ago today. It's trending in the right direction. I get that. I'm optimistic for this team moving forward. But there's a lot of bad baseball players on this team. And it's Chicago. 
It's not a particularly good division. It doesn't have to be a 90-loss team this year. It's going to be a 90-loss team this year. And okay to get another high draft pick, but what's next year going to be like if they trade Wilson and Ian and Kyle and whoever else in the next couple of weeks? So I'm, I'm angry that the Cubs are this bad, but I'm never not watching Cubs baseball. In the offseason, I'm watching old games trying to get ready for the next season. That's an excellent point. A lot of the time, anger at this team is anger that it is like this when it does not have to be like this. I think that's on the, you know, the rare occasion when I'm angry, it only happens once or twice a week, but when it does happen, that's part of it. It's just knowing that it does not have to be this way. It did not have to be this way. Well, how many seasons since Tom Ricketts has owned the Cubs or the Ricketts family's owned the Cubs, have the Cubs either been deliberately tanking or completely inept? Versus we've got a vision here, we're rebuilding, and then the glory years are coming and we got that. I mean, half of the years Tom Ricketts has owned this franchise, they've either been actively trying to lose or completely incompetent in losing anyway. Why are the Cubs that way? This is one of the biggest markets in all of baseball. This is a team that, like, look at what the Dodgers have done for the last decade. Maybe that's the high point, right? Winning division titles every year. But why are the Cubs in a complete rebuild again? Again, it doesn't. It didn't need to be like this. I I I think the problem was, and just to answer your question, I think what happened was there. I think there's a couple of reasons why. First of all, I, I what happened after I'll say you know 2016, but 2017, 2018, 2019, really more like 2019, 2020 is the Cubs unfortunately didn't really you know kind of make an effort to to add on kind of when they hit they got to put like they could have they should have had it going into like the 2019 season going to the 2020 season they should have been the undeniable favorites in those years in the central division but they weren't because they didn't like add the kind of cream the, the excuse me the, the the move that would put them over the top really yeah. which they didn't do and that's unfortunate and it didn't really set them up for the future the other the other thing was their development kind of stalled um they never really developed any pitching unfortunately i would argue that their development stalled at the major league level their major league players did not improve i mean a lot of them got kind of worse and did not produce and unfortunately didn't produce and a lot of guys we all love didn't really produce in certain situations um and the dodgers kind of they kind of just they just were able to find they were able to keep chugging along and i think and I think Theo, when they reflected on why the team was had their struggles, I think it, it had to do is like the Dodgers, the Astros, other teams, the Rays, they kind of just moved past the Cubs in terms of, uh, you know, technology and baseball development. So the Cubs kind of got stunted and they were like, well, we this is how we've always done things. So we'll keep doing those. So it's like the Cubs were like the cutting edge of 2012, 2013, 2014. But then in 2018, 2019, 2020, where there have been so many gains made, they were like lagging behind. And they had like this expectation that like, oh, well, Chris Bryant will just produce or Kyle Schwarber will just produce because they've always produced. But then they didn't produce. Those yeah. guys didn't, unfortunately, or they didn't produce to the levels they did. Like Kyle, Chris Bryant never produced again to a 2016 level. That's unfortunate. It stinks. Some of that was injury. Some of that was. But 2015, 2016, he was one of the you know top 10 players of baseball. After that, he was not. And they just kind of got to the situation where, you know, it ended up they had Jed had to make those moves. I, I mean they they couldn't resign those guys, I guess, and then they had to trade them. They have to, so I think they had to be. I don't know if it has to be what this team is now, but.
but they have to be in a rebuild and they have to uh, right now in this position. I, I think it's unfair to, bl- if you're going to blame somebody, I think you have to blame management and the fact that it's the way the thing stunted. I don't, I honestly don't necessarily think this is a Tom Ricketts problem. Well, it is a Tom Ricketts problem because he stopped spending money in the middle in of 2018, the 2019. I agree right. with that. I agree right. with you there. And then, and, and then yes, to the organization's credit, it does feel the last year and a half, they've been modernizing their minor league infrastructure, their development, and it's paying off. They've got a rapidly improved farm system. And let's be real here. They're going to trade a bunch of good guys in the next couple of weeks. And the farm's going to be even better going into next year. What's payroll going to be going into next year? I just think this current team, if the Cubs had spent $40 million more million this offseason, and I'm not talking about crazy long-term contracts. Look at what Carlos Rodon's doing in San Francisco. Cubs couldn't have topped that offer. How, what, what a massive difference that would make to have that arm in the starting rotation right now because the starting rotation's been the weak point. So that's what bothers me. Like, I'm very excited about the future of this franchise. Farm is awesome. We're going to get a taste of one of their top pitchers, one of their top hitters in the next couple of months. But they stopped trying. It's like the U Darvish deal scared Tom Ricketts from spending money. And when they should have gone for the kill, they backed off. And that was the end of it. I agree with you. They should have gone for the kill. And I agree with that. Some of that, that's on Ricketts, I, I think. I don't necessarily think – I agree with you. They should have signed Carlos Rodon or, or a player like that. I, I agree. And I think they should have been in for Carlos Correa. But I do think a lot of these have been baseball decisions that Jed Hoyer has decided or the baseball department has decided. I don't think everything is just Tom Ricketts didn't want to spend. I, 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 think, I think they didn't want to make those deals because I don't think they thought they saw the value for them at this moment. And I think that's – they made those decisions. Maybe. And there's some truth really to that for sure. But they, they made those decisions. They DFA'd Kyle Schwarber over, what, one and a half, two million dollars? That's insanity. I think it was more like That three. is insanity. Yeah. Whatever it was. I mean, that's complete insanity for them to do that. And look what he's doing. You know, it's, it's very frustrating. But well, I mean, he's been where we okay. Are. It's not like he's been good. I know, but I'd much rather have Kyle Schwarber on this roster than half of the outfielders they currently have. I don't think you would have, you would have Kyle Schwarber on this roster. I, I don't think like Kyle Schwarber is not going to be on this roster because the Cubs were never going to pay him what he got paid in any world. And I think and you had coming off COVID, he got DFA'd. Like he he remember in twenty nineteen he was in twenty twenty he or excuse me twenty twenty he was very bad and he had that's really produced. He I, I, Kyle Schwarber's kind of been like the most overrated Cubs player in the last five years. I mean, I know we love him. Cubs love him, but he's never really produced. He's except for like last year in Philly. So I don't think the Cubs ever would have paid Kyle Schwarber. And, You're and, right, but I think they should have. And I would I rather him be on the roster than most that. golfielders they have. I don't um, think it would have been valued. I don't think it would have been worth it. Well, uh, you know, 32 home runs would look pretty good, I think, in the outfield right now. Plus, with the DH moving forward, and Philly hasn't had the April that that team's going to figure it out. There's a ton of talent on that roster. Let's check back on Kyle in another month or two months and see where he's at at the middle of the year. He's hitting 30 home runs this year. And I don't think anybody on the Cubs is hitting 30 home runs this year. So that would be a bat that I would certainly welcome the lineup. Yeah, but he can't play the field. (laughs) Well, right. But there's a DH in the NL. So you don't have to play the field anymore. And um, I mean, God, the Cubs have had some pretty bad hitters hitting DH this year. But you're right. On a 95 to 100 loss team, there's no point in Kyle Schrober being here. I just don't think, even if you sell off a bunch of guys last year, I think the Cubs were perfectly content fielding a 90 loss team this season. And it doesn't have to be that way at all. And what's next year going to look like? Because what if they trade Wilson 
and Ian and Kyle Hendricks. And I don't think Marcus Stroman's going anywhere, but no, who knows, right? What happens in the next couple of weeks? Like what's that roster going to look like next year? Or are we just going to take another 90 loss season? And then 2024 is the year when all the minor leaguers hit and the team is maybe a hundred win team. I but think it just depends it on how they finish the season. That long. The Cubs could be competitive next season without messing up anything on the farm and at least keeping things interesting, but they seem perfectly content punting this year. And that's exactly what they're doing. The, the short version is that it does not need to be that way. The, yeah. You know, we, we can take whatever route we want to get there. The short version is it does not need to be this way. It does not need to be that way. You can field a competitive team without going, you know, quote unquote crazy. Please go crazy on the payroll. But you can field a competitive team without going crazy on the payroll. And to Ronan's point, they don't seem overly inclined to do that. And that, I think that's the long and short of it. It does not need to be this exact way. I think, I think, I just think that I, I think they could have filled in a more competitive team this year. I would totally agree with that. I, I think I will totally agree that, that they have accepted a 90 loss team. I think the front office has um, done that. And, but I also think at some point we also have to accept the way things ended and the way things were, were not working and something yeah. had to happen that there had to be a change. And there were players that weren't producing. And I don't think, I don't think just, I don't think this team would have been, I think they got to a point where this, this team was kind of going to be bad anyways. I mean, let's face it, well, the end of last year was bad. Yeah. Or excuse me, oh, not the end, the middle, I'm not saying. The end of June, June and July. last year was, was a all, complete, yeah. yeah. Yeah, June was a disaster. And I'm happy with what Jed got back for Chris Bryant, for Javier Baez. Uh, I, I think the moves ultimately were good. I don't like the DFA for Schwarber, but I think the trades that he made, and I want to give Jed credit for that as well. It's very difficult. This, this came up on the Sunday night broadcast that uh, I had on. You take over. You're the director of baseball operations for the Cubs. And really the first real decisions, the big time legacy defining decisions you've got to make are getting rid of multiple World Series heroes, including Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, and Javier Baez. And in retrospect, it was probably the right thing to do at that time. And we're very excited about the farm and the players that have come back. But man, that's not an easy thing to do to add, to be the guy who at the end of the day has to make that phone call and you are responsible for trading Anthony Rizzo. We as fans, I don't think give baseball executives enough credit for that because that's where they need to be bosses and not fans. And we are fans 100% of the time. It takes cojones is what I'm saying to be the guy to have your name on it when you trade Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant away from the Cubs. I think Todd, and I got faith in Jed. I like Jed Hoyer and I think he's going to get this right. I think Jed needs to really, you know, I mean, he's got a job, but to really send some, do something for Tom, because I feel like Tom has taken a lot of the heat that could also be on Jed and he's taken, he's been the front of it and Jed's kind of slid by. Randall, Jeremy's initial question, I don't think you got a chance to fully answer, but how have you been coping with all of these losses. Are you the kind of guy that's like, boom, grand slam TV off, you're bailing on the room or, you know, how, how do you manage when this is some the of worst, these losses The get worst up? it gets, for, for a lot of the time, I'm not able to, I, I didn't see either of the games on Saturday because I was busy with work and, and that's fine. I did, does, does not appear as if I missed anything, either of those games. Um, I'd say the worse the game gets, the less inclined I am to watch it. And I understand some people feel very strongly about that. You have to watch every inning of every game or you're not a real fan. I think it's perfectly okay to turn off a game in which the Cubs are just playing 
horribly. You, you have to do what you have to do to get through this season. It is May 11th. We have another half month and then June, July, August, September, and a little bit of October. We have the better part of four and three quarter months still with this team. And this team is probably not going to get better. You have to do what you have to do to get through the season. And to your point, absorb all the baseball you can because you're going to miss it when it's gone. And we were not even counting on having baseball potentially this early at various points in the offseason. And I completely understand that. Bad food is better than no food. But do what you have to do to get through this season. If that means occasionally turning off a game that the Cubs are losing nine to one because they've played no defense and every hard hit ball they've hit has found a glove and every little drippy piece of shit that the other team has hit has managed to find grass or somewhere. Do what you have to do to get through the season. That's my philosophy. When you are watching a game, Randall, I'm curious, how are you watching? You got it on the background. You got it on, on like TV in the background. You got it. You're, you're focused on it. You're sitting there. I uh, like for me, I, I got, I pretty much have every game on marquee streaming on my computer at all times. So I'm not always just watching it, but I'm watching it because it's right there next to me. How are you watching it? That is solely a matter of, do I have something else that needs to get done? Or do I not have something else that needs to get done? Sometimes the Cubs do have to get demoted to background noise. And again, especially depending on the status and the, the score of the game. So uh, if I, if the game is on, it is generally no lower than like second on my attention list, but there are times when it is not first. And that's because there's only so many hours in the day, Jeremy. And when you got so many things to do, sometimes you don't quite have time to watch every pitch of a game that the Cubs are losing, you know, 11 to one or whatever. Sure. Sure. I think that's kind of the fun of baseball though, in general, it's every day. It's this constant, it's just this theme either in the background or at the forefront, but it's there every single day and you're thinking about it and you're watching it. And, you know, I've had some late nights here the last couple of weeks, just work related where it's been nice grading papers or things, having the ball game on. And yeah, even if the Cubs are losing seven to one, I'm, it's on there till the ninth inning. And then I move on to whatever else is going on that night. So it's going to be a long summer, but we had some glimpses of fun this past week here in San Diego. Really cool to see Kyle Hendricks doing his thing. And Wilson in, in this leadoff spot, too, just ripping the cover off the ball. Very fun when Wilson's on because when he hits the ball out of the ballpark, there's no cheap homers from Wilson. He's a, a fun, energetic player to watch, and uh, he likes to knock it out. There's no cheap anything from Wilson. That dude has one speed, and that's one very loud go with lots of O's in that go. It's a go. Yeah. It's one speed. Wilson does not do anything lower than that one speed, which is about a 14 out of 10 at all times. And I'm afraid he's going to go in the next couple of weeks away from the Cubs organization, and I'm going to miss him. But we'll have that conversation in a couple of weeks. Is it a good idea or bad idea to move on from Wilson, or is he part of the future here and what the next couple of years can look like? Uh, something that was not uncommon in the last week, roster moves for the Cubs. So many to name. We can't go through them all. Frank Schwindel gets sent to Iowa. About 12 hours later, he's flying middle of the plane all the way back to San Diego. Randall, what do you got on Frank And this is a bit of a story on Frank Schwindel. He was set to be featured on a segment on Sunday Night Baseball because there's nothing more exciting than featuring Frank Schwindel to your national audience. He was set to be like featured on that broadcast. He was told that day he was getting demoted. And on his way to Wrigley, he picks up a, 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 a nail in his tire. His auto place, not taking appointments anymore for that day. So he thinks he's going to get it fixed Monday morning and then do the six-hour drive to Iowa. 
And then, of course, Monday morning, they tell him, nope, you are needed in San Diego. Hop a flight. Had he not gotten a flat tire, he might have been in Des Moines, where you can't get a direct flight, apparently, all the way to San Diego. And they would have had to scramble even harder to get somebody out there in time. So it's amazing how one nail can change uh, this very important course in Cubs history of Frank Schwindel's 24-hour trip to Iowa. Randall, I was unaware of that. I didn't know the, the story. And that really hits close to home. Last Tuesday, I'm at Red Rocks for the first of two concerts, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. We pull into the tailgate. We're getting ready to walk into the venue. About two hours after we've been there, tailgated for a while, there is a nail in the back right tire no, of our car. And it is like in there. And I'm thinking, like, what do we do here? You got to go into the show. Are we coming out to a flat tire? And if you've got a flat tire, it's going to take hours for us to get that thing figured out, tailgates leaving, getting back home, came out, and that nail was still in the tire. And when I drove home, the tire pressure increased coming home from Red Rocks. Now, the next day, tire had to be replaced. They couldn't salvage it, was able to get back out there. But it's very scary. Just imagine, like, you're, you go up to Milwaukee for a Cubs game. You pull in there to tailgate. You're going into the ballpark, and you see a nail in your tire. And you know when you come out after that game, there's a pretty damn good chance that tire is going to be flat. Well, like Joe Madden always said, never let the tire pressure exceed the pleasure. Just credit where it's due. That story about Frank Schwindel's tire, that comes, of course, from Megan Montemoro, the Cubs beat reporter for the Chicago Tribune. So that, of course, is her story. I do not have the exclusive on that. Be, be sure to look that up. So just credit where it's due. The other roster moves, one that caught my attention, I had sort of been thinking about a segment for this show. Is it time to send Nick Madrigal to Des Moines? really bad 213 263 253 and about 75 at bats or so for the cubs this year well it's a moot point because he's on the injured list uh jeremy would i have been premature though to say hey it's time to send him down like not even 100 at bats do i need to pump the brakes on that a little bit and give nick a little more time i think so i think i think i'm not gonna say you know he's been good or anything so but I think it's a different situation than, say, Frank Schwindel. I, I, I would have them in two different buckets. Like a guy like Frank Schwindel, you know, he's in the middle of his career. It's you produce now or you're going back. Like, okay, Nick Madrigal, you expect him to be a part of the team. He's a developing player uh, for the future. You know, I think even if he struggles at the big league level, you want him to figure it out at the big league level. You want him to develop. So I don't know if necessarily sending him back to AAA, say, where he's had success – before is is that what's best for his development i don't know i think at least you give him the time to try to figure it out try to move through maybe june july if he's still struggling okay then we could have that conversation i just think it's too early may 10th to be talking about i think you want to let him have a chance to figure it out and honestly who's coming up in his place and i know it it does not matter on any level whether it's an underperforming nick madrigal or maybe some triple I guy, triple A guy who is performing to the very best of his ability and the very best of his ability is still bad Nick Madrigal. I don't know that it matters on any level, but to the extent that it does matter, I'm with Jeremy, let him try and figure it out at the major league level, just because if he figures out at Iowa, I don't think that tells you anything. If he can or can't figure it out at the major league level, one way or the other, that's going to be a lot more indicative for you than anything he does at Iowa. Yeah. And just for Randall's point of like, who's going to replace him to go back to Frank Schwindel, like, give a guy in Alfonso Rivas you want to give time to. So, like, if sure. Frank Schwindel is not producing, okay, we have this guy here that we want to give time to. If Nick Madrigal, who is, as Randall said, coming in? I mean, you could put Simmons and Horner there and VR, but that's not really telling you much, you know, for the future. So Jonathan VR tells me absolutely nothing. 
No, uh, it tells you it's time for uh, Angelton Simmons to come back and help out at short. Nico Horner also dealing with some injury issues right now. Got run so, over by an umpire. It's a travesty, a sham, and a mockery. Yeah, uh, give me a reaction, Randall, beyond for, that. To, for, to, to the umpire <laughs> not looking where he's going, and Nico ends up with a sprained ankle, that's ridiculous. It's bad enough. All the injuries that can happen to you on a baseball, you step wrong on the, the the base you you run into a teammate you run into a wall you do what david Bodie did that one time and you sprain your ankle by stepping on a baseball you shouldn't have to worry about getting run over by the damn umpires you should not have to worry and on top of everything else the umpires do for this game you shouldn't have to worry about getting run over by them at least this generation of umpires is slimmer i mean back in the day oh. 80s 90s there were some big some big boys that you wouldn't want to be run over by there, there were some big boys that's a good way of putting it um speaking of david Bodie. What's going on there? Do we know anything about his development? Yes, it was on one of the recent updates that he is starting to re get to the point of being able to rehab probably sooner versus later. It seems like their original timetable of him probably coming back at some point in June is probably pretty close to on track. I don't think he's quite set to head out to a rehab assignment yet, but it sounds like he's getting closer at least to returning to baseball activities after that surgery. Okay. Well, that's good. I mean, we got to figure out what's there. If anything, a guy that at times looks awesome and can crush the ball in the grand scheme though, of his performance at the major league level, it's not been what we've hoped for and injuries have been sort of a problem here the last couple of years too. So we're going to see the Colorado native David Bodie get back into the mix for the Cubs. I wanted to really quickly touch on some minor league transactions that I thought were important couple guys moving up to double a max bain one of the great names in the cubs system alexander canario also getting the bump up but i gotta mention this guy because we're talking about great names cam call him randall sanders goes from tennessee to iowa he is one phone call away from the chicago cubs he pitched great for tennessee six games 36 strikeouts and 24 innings. He gets the bump up to Iowa and maybe not the top pitching prospect, certainly not the top pitching prospect for the Cubs, but the way the starting rotation is going, maybe we see a Sanders on the mound at Wrigley Field this year. I'm 100% in on that. You are, of course, 100% in on that. And I just imagine, Ronan, I'm just imagining your face out there in Denver. You're on top of the mountain. Jason Hayward is designated for assignment. The and to fill his 25 man spot (laughs) and his 40 man spot, Cam Sanders is the roster move. They have a number 22 jersey lying around, and there's a Sanders number 22 taking the mound at Wrigley. And you're you're hooting and you're hollering and you're yammering and you're howling would be heard all the way from Denver to Wrigley. I mean, I, I I'm getting a Sanders 22 jersey. If Cam Sanders ends up on the Cubs and picks 22, I'm going straight to Tom Ricketts. I'm giving him some cash, and I'm wearing a Sanders 22 for the rest of my life. Just imagine you walking up to Tom Ricketts, pulling 100 out of your wallet, going, <laughs> fuck you, Tom. Now sell me a jersey. Give me a Sanders 22 right now. Yeah, I, I feel like we need to contact Cam, or excuse me, call him Randall, and uh, make sure this happens. Hey, hey, Randall, when you get to the big show, you got to do what you can to get that 22. If they were still around, you just got to find a way to get that 22. Have somebody with a little deeper pocket spot you the cash. Well, yeah. Randall, you're lucky because your last name is relatively common. There have been Sanders that have played Major League Baseball. Not a lot of O'Shea's. I don't know if there's ever been a Specter who's played Major League Baseball. Jeremy, maybe you've got the lock-in on that. But No, uh, we, we stick to uh, getting ourselves taken over by Egyptian gods. <laughs> Randall see, got that. I, we need, I don't know what you're talking about again, but 
Sanders 22 is something that we could all agree with. Just right, real, Cubs, just yeah, real quick, ahead. there is one Spectre in organized ball listed on baseball reference. That is Doug Spector, who was a relief pitcher, a right-handed relief pitcher. He pitched in the Cincinnati system in 1983 and 1984 for Eugene and uh, Pocatello, wherever that is. Is that That is the the only Spector listed on baseball Mm -hmm. references, uh, vast, vast field of knowledge. OR with the C? Uh, Who, but. Oh, Spector. Spector. Is yes, O-R it is spelled. With, with a C? It is spelled as your name, Spector. S P E C T O R. I will say there was a player drafted from Clemson in the NFL draft in April, just recently, Balin Spector. So we got a guy in the NFL coming to you. Okay. What about the other two names, Randall? I can think of a lot of Sanders. Uh, Reggie Sanders, Dion. one of the guys that played. Dion Sanders. Um, yeah, there have been. Oh, you know, there is a, a great a great baseball name currently pitching for Tampa. He is on the injured list. Phoenix Sanders. Ooh. That's a, that's a great name, but just off the, uh, the, uh, the auto predict list here on baseball reference, we have Reggie Sanders, Dion Sanders, Scott Sanders, David Sanders, actually the name of my grandfather. I don't think that's him. We have an Anthony Sanders, a Ken Sanders, a Reggie. We have Reggie already. <laughs> we have Ray Sanders. So if you build it, Ray, <laughs> they will come. Yeah. There have Scott been Sanderson. Yeah. We yeah, have lots of Sandersons, some Sandbergs. Uh, there was a Ben Sanders in the late 1800s. So there have been some Sanders is a D Sanders, a John Sanders, a Leo Sanders. There have been. Oh, and oh, wow. Here's a name. A guy named War Sanders, W.A.R. War Sanders, short for Warren, I believe. He hmm. pitched for uh, St. Louis of all franchises, 1903-1904. So there have been some Sanderses. That's the plural of Sanders. Sanderses. There have been some Sanderses in the major leagues. Sanderai, yeah. Sanderzim. Bring it home though for us. Uh, you know there. Although there there have been there there are some O'Shea's showing up here now. They are all in the minor leagues. I don't believe there were any O'Shea's in the major leagues. Some of them don't even have first names. They are just listed with the last name of O'Shea. But we do have a Ben O'Shea who played in the minor leagues for the Cardinals fairly recently in the last decade. This is this will go well for you. There's a, a Con O'Shea. I don't know that it's. <laughs> I think Khan is the given name. I don't think it's short for anything, but there's been a Danny O'Shea, a Johnny O'Shea, a Nick O'Shea, a Pat O'Shea, perhaps unsurprisingly, two Pat O'Shea's, um, three Patrick O'Shea's, I beg your pardon, a Ryan O'Shea, a Shane O'Shea, and simply a T O'Shea. And T, <laughs> T, the initial T is listed as the given name there. So I believe I'm the leader in the clubhouse in uh, major league players to have shared a, uh, a surname with me. Yeah, Ronan, you got some T.O.Shays, but uh, I would like to point, I did type uh, Sanders in, and I want to, there's a name out there, and it's a middle name, and it's not quite Sanders, it's Sanderson, but the the full name is Rupert Jones, so it's Rupert (laughs) Sanderson (laughs) Jones, so I just want to, I like that name right there. Rupp, Rupp himself. Unfortunately, his nickname was Rupp, I guess, R-U-P-E, but uh, I would call him Rupp Sanderson. I'd call him Rupp as well. Yeah. Uh, but good stuff there, Randall. Thank you for digging that up here. Um, Cubs go to Phoenix for three. Oof, never fun going down there. Never. For, for three, the start of a seven-game homestand. Randall, our buddies at Cubs Weather have some weather for us. What do we have here? As they so often do, Alexander of Cubs Weather at Alexander Hall and at Cubs Weather, nice enough to provide us with the weather for the upcoming series in Phoenix, and then the Cubs return to Wrigley. So the Cubs, of course, are headed to Chase Field, the little house of horrors out there in the desert. 
Uh, Friday is an 85 degree first pitch. Saturday, a 95 degree first pitch. Friday night is 8.40 p.m. Central Time, 7.10 p.m. Saturday night. And then Sunday, you can expect a 105 degree first pitch for that 3.10 Central. Yeah, that 3.10 Central Time. The series vibe is listed as turning up the heat. And Alexander makes sure to note that just about all of these games will probably be played under the dome. Possibly an open roof Friday, but like the rest of the country, Phoenix transitioned into summer and cranks up the heat. That's probably enough to close the roof at Chase Field Sunday and possibly Saturday as well. Winds will not be a factor in this series. We transition back to Wrigley, which does not have a dome and is a much nicer park than Chase Field. The Pirates come in for three Monday through Wednesday. These are all uh, Wrigley Field pre-Memorial Day night games, 6.40 p.m. Central Time. The weather will be considerably more pleasant. Monday night, a temperature at game time of 63 degrees. The winds in from left center field at 10 miles per hour. Tuesday night, 59 degrees. Again, in from left field center field at 10 miles per hour. And then finally, the Wednesday night game, 56 degrees at game time with a wind in from right field at 10 miles per hour. Alexander describes the series vibe as winter, then summer, and finally spring. Two can't-miss dazzling evening games, weather-wise, he is sure to note, mm. with clear skies and a light breeze in. And then Wednesday is expected to be more of the same, but with a chance for a shower. So uh, when Alexander was on with us last week, he called games like these Dazzlers, and it sounds like we are in for a pair of Dazzlers at beautiful and historic Wrigley Field Monday night and Tuesday night as the Pittsburgh Pirates come in. So thank you, as always, to Alexander at Alexander Hall of Cubs Weather at Cubs Weather, who is nice enough to provide these weather reports for us every time we light up the microphones and record. Yeah, good stuff there. Uh, Jeremy, you getting out the next uh, homestand here? Uh, yeah, I was looking at it. I don't know. I'm not super eager to get out to a Pittsburgh game, but, uh, you know, I'm trying to get back to Wrigley, you know, as much as I possibly can. I, I still love going to Wrigley and the weather's turning. So it's a little bit tougher probably to find tickets. Not that it's super hard. But uh, I am eager to get back out to Wrigley. And, uh, and one thing I, you know, I, I, I think we should point out, I don't know if we mentioned, is that this, this next Cub, upcoming Cubs game, the very next game on the schedule, Friday night Apple TV Plus game. You know, mm. I think that's going to be interesting to see how that is the second game of the Apple TV Plus doubleheader, which to everybody, if you do have an Apple TV Plus account, it is free to anybody having an Apple TV, but you do not need a paid subscription, at least yet. Um, well, wait, say that currently again. free. You do not need an Apple Plus, uh, t- an Apple TV Plus subscription. So if you have an Apple account and have the Apple TV app, you can go into the app, log in under your account, obviously, and watch the Cubs game. It is a free so broadcast. Anybody with an iPhone would with have an iPhone. Apple ID, and they could watch this game on TV. But they've got to log into Apple TV with Mac, their yeah iPad. iPad. Okay. Jeremy, that's real good information, of course, because with games being on the myriad of streaming services, not everyone is up on uh, how to access those. Apple TV, also a very common app to be found on smart TVs uh, for that same reason. So you can, if you do have a smart TV or any kind of set-top box like an actual, an actual Apple TV, all you need is that Apple account to watch the Cubs when they're on Apple TV uh, coming in the next week or so. So Jeremy, that's good information for our listeners who I know re- rely upon us for a very wide range of information. Sure. And just to clarify, is that the game in Phoenix? Yeah, it's Friday. Yes. Okay. Well, it's yeah. The, so next the next game week. on the schedule. Wow. All right. Yeah. That's annoying as hell. Um, but uh, this is how things are, I guess. Thank you, Rob Manfred, for making it a pain in the ass to watch my favorite team 
even though I've got an MLB TV subscription. And next week, we can all judge the Apple TV broadcast if we all yeah. are going to watch it. <laughs> well, you know me. If uh, there is something to bitch about when it comes to the way <laughs> people choose to broadcast baseball games, I'm first in line, ready to go. Now, Ronan, I know you wanted to take a second as the Cubs head out to Arizona. Take a look at this D-backs team because they've gotten off to a little better start than a lot of people anticipated. And I know you asked me to take a look today uh, for this edition of the podcast exactly how they are doing it. So, of course, I did. I don't want to call it a deep dive. It's giving myself too much credit. I did a shallow dive, uh, which means I cracked open baseball reference and I found the right pages. Yeah, I did. in the water. I waded into the baseball reference pool. There were a lot of ads in the pool. Uh, but the 2022 D-backs, of course, first thing you look at is I'm, a, I'm an offense guy. You look at the offense. They are not doing this with their offense. They are 15th in the National League in runs per game, and that is 3.65. They are behind the Cubs. They are behind the Reds. They are behind the Pirates. And just for the sake of comparison, they are 15th in the National League. They are 24th in Major League Baseball. And something that occurred to me as I was looking that up, we used to do you know, your rankings in your league and then your rankings in MLB because the two leagues were so disparate. They played by different rules and the two leagues did not intermingle quite as much. That's out the window now. Both leagues play by the same rules and you're playing interleague the entire season. It doesn't make as much sense to divide the two leagues statistically anymore. They'll still continue doing it. That's just something that occurred to me today. The D-backs as a team, they are second to last in team on base percentage, second to last in team OPS, second to last in team OPS plus, slight improvement for their team slugging, they are third to last. They are doing this with their pitching. They are 10th in MLB in runs allowed per game. They are third, I'm sorry, 10th in the National League in runs allowed per game. So they're middle of the pack, I guess. But they are third in the National League in Team ERA. They are second in the National League in ERA+. And then for our listeners out there not aware of what ERA+, plus is, it is a, a quantitative stat. 100 is completely average in the plus stats. So if you have a, a, an ERA+, plus over 100, you are that many percentage points better than average. And the Arizona Diamondbacks are second in the National League in ERA+. plus. So they are doing this almost exclusively with the pitching. It is very much not the offense. And that answers your question of how the Arizona Diamondbacks, despite their, their roster looking as it does, are three games over 500 this late into the season. Everybody in the National League West over 500, even those Colorado Rockies hanging on there one up. I was just surprised. You know, a lot of people thought Arizona is going to be a 90, maybe 100 loss team this year playing pretty good through at least one month and staying up above 500 like all their division opponents. Yeah, they just, you know, had a nice series against the Marlins, I believe. And, uh, yeah, that offense is bad. So or hopefully they can uh, – uh, Cubs pitching can prevail a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, the Dodgers go in and sweep the Cubs. They go to Pittsburgh and lose two out of three. Yeah, you never know. Baseball can be very weird. Cubs obviously get the series win in San Diego. But you get the sense here, next two weeks for the Cubs – kind of light right you got arizona in two different series you got pittsburgh in the middle of that at the beginning of the season i said this was going to be that window where cubs fans were going to be thinking wow we got a pretty good team here it's not where they're at at 11 and 19 and nearly nine games out of first but next two weeks could be a bunch of wins if the cubs play some competitive ball yeah i'm, I'm intrigued by that i this is kind of an opportunity is there a possibility the Cubs go into June or at least late May, like, you know, two, three games under 500 seems reasonable. I hope so. Let's get a big, nice, long winning streak here and um, yeah, have some fun with it. Uh, Rockies, by the way, 16 and 15, Kansas City in town this weekend. So I'm going to go see the Royals. 
one yeah. of these nights. Uh, uh, Royals are the Royals, but I think uh, some rare opportunity to see an American League Central team like that, I'll take advantage of it. I, I think – I don't know what how the schedule lines up, but to me, if you get a chance to see Granke pitching if he's old, I think totally. that would be a, a, a shot to go for. Yeah. Granke, yeah, Granke got to be pit- Granky got to be pissed to not be able to hit in cores. You know, he probably out there taking batting practice before the game. Yeah, yeah man, it's uh, it's a wild ballpark. But uh, look at the the Rockies splits home and road, winning all their home games, losing all their road games. That's pretty much how things go. Giants have slapped them around here in the last week. Uh, a couple more things to get to here tonight, and then we'll bring this show home. This is our sixty eighth podcast, so we've been chugging away here for many, many months at this Randall 68 in Cubs history worn by two people, but big names kind of in Cubs history. What do you got? Well, as you said, it is only two individuals and that is one player, one coach. The number was actually first worn by Jorge Soler. He is the sole player wearer in team history, having worn it from 2014 in his debut to 2016, after which he was traded. So, you know, there's not a whole lot of individuals, not just alive, but in all of human history who can say that they won a World Series with the Chicago Cubs. And Jorge Soler is one individual who gets to make that claim. And then, of course, it is has been worn since 2019 and currently by pitching coach Tommy Hadovy, uh, good pitching coach, very data-driven, good relationship with his pitchers. So exactly two individuals to have ever worn number 68 as members of the Chicago Cubs on the field or in the dugout. World Remember Series that? MVP, Jorge Soler. That's true. Not with the Cubs, not with the Cubs, but he, he does have a world series MVP on his mantle. Well, one of my favorite memories of Jorge Soler destroying a baseball, the the pre messed up baseballs in St. Louis who, I mean, you'll never forget those bombs that he hit out in St. Louis. I think the second one in particular was the one that just disappeared into the night end of 2014. You're beginning to see him and Javi and Jake's doing his thing. You're like, okay, Pieces are coming together here. Chris Bryant's in the middle of being the National Minor League Player of the Year. We're on the cusp of something pretty fun here. We all we all remember that home run, as you said, late in the 2014 season in St. Louis. And you could just hear tens of thousands of gaping mouthed, whatever you want to call St. Louis fans, shutting their mouths at once. What do you want to call them? Well, yeah, I had a lot of words. Them. A lot of words come to mind. Just all of those gaping mouths shutting at once. You could hear the whoosh as the air was let out of that ballpark as Jorge Soler parked one uh, out of the concourse in left center field. And I'll always remember uh, Jim Deshaies going, there isn't a higher league, Jorge. They're not going to call you up again. I, I just, for me, my Jorge Soler memory, and that, that is a big one uh, uh, that, you know, it was kind of felt like a statement game with uh, Jorge hitting mm-hmm. that home run. But I, I remember a game in early I want, uh, 2015. And I want to say, I, I kind of want to say it was against the Reds, but I'm not confident on that. Where Jorge was like bundled, just completely, just like he looked like Shredder from the the, the Teenage Mutant Turtles or something. And the Cubs were down, and Jorge just hit a monster rocket, just like straight center field, and he just he just put everything into it. And the Cubs came back and won, and it was a huge homer. Mm-hmm. And I just remember Jorge just he I was like he, this guy man looks like he just. He's not even going to be able to, you know, run around the bases because he looks so cold, (laughs) but it was a monster homer. Jorge Soler did not enjoy the cold weather. He was always the first one to be bundled up. 
Um, yeah, he always had the balaclava, the full face mask. I always thought he looked like Sub-Zero from Mortal Kombat because he had the, the full face mask. Uh, Jeremy, you your memory is spot on, as it so often is. That game was, was dated second homer of the game too. April 13th of 2015, Jorge Soler hits a big two-run homer to tie the game at six all in the bottom of the eighth inning, a game the Cubs would go on to win in the bottom of the 10th. Uh, an Arismendi Alcantara walk-off single in that game. Oh, but you are correct, it. as you saw often our Jorge Soler with a big game-tying home run, his second of the game, as you noted, uh, to tie the game late, uh, a game the Cubs would go on to win. Jorge Soler was fun when he was on the field and productive. He hit some, some tape measure home runs. So I, I kind of miss him. You know, I'm thinking here, next week's episode 69. Jeremy, I'm very excited. Uh, Randall, just buckle in for next week's show. No Cubs have ever worn 69, and I got an idea, Jeremy. Cam Sanders. Sanders 69. I'm on board with that, too. Give Tom your money. Make sure you get that. <laughs> oh, it, 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 again, let's get uh, Cam Sanders up to the Cubs, and he will be a podcast favorite here on Behind the Yellow Line. Anything else, guys, before we end here? I want to toss one more thing in here. It is er, mid-May now. Three independent teams locally have either started or are starting their season. Chicago area is, as much as you can be uh, blessed with independent teams, there are three of them um, scattered around the area that are uh, that have a little nicer, little nicer ballpark, a little nicer experience. You, of course, have my favorite, the Chicago Dogs, who play out in Rosemont, uh, right between the airport and 294, wonderful area, Rosemont Entertainment District, right across the highway. They are starting their regular season this Friday with a home game at beautiful impact field out there in Rosemont. You have the Schaumburg boomers, the Schaumburg flyers a very long time ago, the boomers for many years. Now a boomer, by the way, is a prairie chicken, a bird that makes a very loud noise with a sack right under its chin, Rowan. And that's right up your alley, both the making loud noises. Say, keep, yeah. Kind of, well, I thought he reminded me of you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Their regular season also starts this Friday. Uh, they are playing on the road, and they are back in beautiful scenic Schaumburg with their ballpark on Springensguth Road out there, Friday the 20th. And then if you go a little further out west into Kane County, you find, appropriately enough, the Kane County Cougars. They play out there in Geneva at beautiful Northwestern Medicine Field, formerly an affiliated team, formerly a Cubs affiliate, and they, too, begin their regular season this Friday. They do play in the same league as the Chicago Dogs. Makes sense that they are starting on the same night. And they begin their season with a home game out there in beautiful scenic Geneva near the Fox River. So, you know, if you've got kids, maybe you got family members who like going to baseball games, Cubs and the Sox can be harder to get to, especially if you've got young kids. All of these bar parks are very accessible, plenty of parking, cheap tickets, food, great place to take the kids for the day if you want to show them a baseball game, but the Cubs or the Sox are maybe not viable. So, you know, go out there, see an independent game or two this summer. Good fun. Maybe not the best baseball, but good fun. It is good fun. If you are going to one of those games, you got an extra seat in your car, text Randall. He'll join you. He loves going out to those ballparks. True story, Jeremy. Randall went to a Rosemont Dogs game with my dad. Just the two of them. Dad had a great time. Randall had a great time. But what a scene. Randall's there heckling the umpire at the Dogs game. I was about to say, you know who didn't have a great time? Those independent league <laughs> umpires. That's right. Randall, make sure they the all umpires yes. any level doesn't matter you, yeah. you, who you are. You're it's on site. Randall doesn't does matter what level. Play. It's on site. There, there's a viral video today of a very young little league game. Like if it's not t-ball, it's that next step up. And this kid slides into home, 
clearly safe. Ball gets thrown to the catcher, dropped, rolls away from the umpire. Umpire calls him out. And then a voice pops up and goes, Angel Hernandez working Little League Baseball now. <laughs> that caught my attention. I thought it was pretty funny. That was the viral baseball video of the day. Just to be clear, I would never harass a Little League umpire. These poor underpaid or volunteer teenagers doing the best they can. I would never harass a Little League umpire. That's, that's over the line for me. Randall, I think you need to be a little league umpire. I don't think I do. All perception. I absolutely don't think I do. Take a step in their shoes. Understand what they're going through. If only because I don't want to take a step in their shoes. I don't want to humanize umpires. I don't want to make it harder for me to heckle them. You know, you get these featurettes on MLBN occasionally showing the umpires being people going out to dinner and being nice to people and shaking hands. I don't want that. I want them to be these monsters that I can just harangue endlessly. And then they'll, they'll never once hear me. Don't, don't humanize them for me. Don't ruin that for me. Well, I'll keep on it. Uh, 69 next week. Big show. Lots of Randall on the show next week. For Jeremy and Randall, thanks for joining us. We're on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. Cubs, go to the desert. Win some games. Let's keep the good energy next week at number 69. We'll see you next time.